0: We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up for Air.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air, and I have my co-hosts with me today. Dominique Simone Levine, the creator of Allies in Recovery. Hi, Dominique.
2: Hi, Laurie. glad to be here.
1: And Kayla Solomon, also a um, a support group uh, through the website, Kayla Solomon runs the support group. She's a clinician. And am I right, Kayla, you're also trained in craft? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Good morning, Kayla. How are you? Good morning. Okay. So today I have a question um, that I'm bringing up to Kayla, hoping that we can kind of dig in and get to the bottom of what kind of solutions or answers there are to this particular question. So oftentimes I have families that come in and they're practicing their craft communication skills. Um, They're working on like reflective listening. They're trying to hold more positive conversations with their loved one, which I think is important to note that positive conversations doesn't mean that everything's going to be all flowery and wonderful. Positive conversations means you're going to have a difficult conversation. (laughs) You're just going to try and do it in a more positive way. Um, But what I hear a lot of is when the loved one, when there starts to be some kind of tension between the loved one and the concerned family member, The loved one will try and will start to turn the conversation around and place blame on the family member or the, or the loved one. So, and I say, or the, because it could be a friend, it could be a, it could be a, um, boyfriend or girlfriend, um, but something like, oh, they, they will do things to like instill guilt, in the other person and blame in the other person. So things like, um, oh yeah, sure. You know, you used to be, you know, you used to be so neglectful. You didn't care about me back then. And now, now you want to be the good mom. Right. Um, or after everything you did to me when I was young, I think you should be taking care of me now. You, you you know, just really kind of blaming the other person to keep them in the conversation right to to um it can drum up a lot of guilt and shame and blame and also drum up a lack of confidence in the person in the in the concerned um loved one any i have my i have a few things that i um that i uh, uh a few things in my toolkit that i talk to families about of what they can do but I was hoping you might be able to help us out with this because this is a this is a big, big issue. It's a big driving force and it can be a place where boundaries start to fall completely apart.
3: So I guess the way I would describe it is um, this is where boundaries come in. Okay, so that if you are. A big issue with caregivers and loved ones is that they take on more than their share of responsibility for what's happening in the situation, um, which makes sense. But because you're either a parent or a loved one and you care about this person, at the same time, what's essential to know is that that person has their own life. Okay, and we need to really see it that way, that this person has their own life and that they it's really, really important that we do not take more responsibility than we can for somebody else's life. So, yes, there is not a person on the planet that has not hurt somebody or done things incorrectly or Mm -hmm. been in a situation where they weren't perfect. That's not the issue. Because uh, like, for example, with parents, you could have three kids and they're all different and you raise them pretty much the same way, but people come onto the planet with their own sensibilities, their own stories, their own experiences. And you also don't know what happened to them when they're not in your presence. So I look at um, substance use uh, as a way of trying to soothe trauma with something outside of yourself. OK, it's like you're looking outside of yourself to calm yourself down, to treat your whatever issues you have. And that's exactly what blame is about. Blame is an externalizing of what's going on for you. And so that person is just basically exp- doing another another expansion of looking outside of themselves to justify what's going on or to calm themselves down it's like a pressure cooker so if you feel so much pressure inside and you start to be angry and blame the pressure starts coming off it's a release just like it is when you use any kind of substances So I see it as an extension of using substances. It's another tool that people use not to look inside, not to take responsibility, not to calm themselves down or self-soothe. The problem is that if you're the loved one and you take that on, then you become pressurized on the inside. And then what's great, if you're the person throwing out these, these negative comments, if the other person takes it on, you have succeeded because then there's this deflection from what's happening for you and your own behavior. So it's a great tool for the other person to use. It's like, you see, you see, you're so reactive. It's
1: all about you. Yep. Yep. I've heard that. I've heard that.
3: And so what happens is it's a great tool. And if you take it, if you're the person who's listening to that and you take it personally, they have won. Right, And so the way I think about this is, if you can realize that this is their story and there are alternative realities happening at the very same time, they're they're having their own experience, and you're having your own experience. You don't have to take on somebody's experience and make it yours. Dominique, he- you look like you want to say something.
2: Yep. I think when you're a a family member and you're getting the finger pointed at you, it's, it's, it's a good time to recognize it's, it's time to pull back. Um, You know, we spend a lot of time on the site talking about safety and, and, and these are moments when you're being blamed and having the finger pointed at you. Um, It's an escalation and it can become a dangerous moment. So we just want you to be a very sure that you are, protecting yourself and paying attention to those red flags that we talk about in, in the safety module. Um, also, um, you know, the closer you are to somebody, um, the more likely you are to be blamed. I mean, it's it's a, it, the intimacy of blame, right? So you're, in this case, a mother, um, and you're responsible for everything, as far as I can tell, as your son. Um, and if it doesn't go right, it's your fault. Very simple. So what you're all describing is this this move in in that we do in craft, which is to gently push that responsibility in a lot of different ways, back onto the individual and let them see for themselves. Um, and and that externalizing idea of this is a way to lash out is to blame. It's just another not terribly bright, useful way to soothe. It's great. It's great that you use that word because
1: that's that's exactly like what how we describe it in rest when, when we're talking about this stuff and we're talking about craft is um, this idea that our loved ones can't soothe themselves. And maybe they can't right now, but maybe that's because somebody was always there to help soothe them. So it's i you know we talk about that and say it's okay for your loved one to start to learn to soothe themselves and it doesn't mean that they're going to get it the first time you start to pull away in fact they're probably going to get a little bit worse because it's not working right no i don't know how to soothe myself is basically what they're screaming right like and it's your fault right you you need to come back here and soothe me because that's what you do. And that's what I do. I flip out and you soothe me. I blame you and I get you to come back here and calm me down. Otherwise right?
3: known as help me. It's your fault. It's your help fault. Me, it's your fault.
1: Right, right. And um, so so we talk about this, that it's OK. And in fact, your loved one will never learn to soothe themselves if they aren't expected to soothe themselves, right? If if you soothe them all the time, if you help to calm them down. So we, we talk about like things that you can say and that you can do when that starts to happen. Um, I,
3: I also think it's really important to look at what the reactivity that you're having is. Right. Because if you can't define your reactivity and what you're telling yourself and the things that you're feeling at that moment, you lose your power. Right. Okay. So if you feel like you are responsible for everything and the reason things are not working is because you're not doing something or you're not doing it right Right. or you're failing, then you already are behind the eight ball. And by the way, that's how the other person feels also. So if you're taking that position of if you're in such a bad spot and it's my fault, I've failed. I'm a bad parent. I'm a bad partner. I'm a bad sibling, whatever. I'm a bad child. So if you're already coming from that position, you already have to like get to the surface before you can do anything effective. So you want to know that this is your reactivity. And, and part of the work is that this there's this bigger piece of work that you need to do of, I am not responsible for this other person's situation. So there's what I, you know, if you could see me, it's like this pulling back, this pulling back. Right, it's right. Like there's a separation between you and that person. That's where it begins. You could use every tool in the world, but if you see yourself as responsible for somebody else's well-being, nothing you do is going to be effective.
1: Right, right. and and the whole the whole thing about this kayla is um it's actually uh, there's this d- deep <clears throat> deep sense of responsibility that we that we especially for parents right especially for parents because a spouse may have a different dynamic but especially for parents there's this there's this um this sense that i am responsible for this other person's well-being because i was from the time they were born right and now maybe i'm not and um we also talk about the the understanding that um actually it's as a parent it's our job to actually um equip our loved ones with the skills to be independent Right, And let be, them go, and let them go, and let them be separate from us. The problem is is that, um, maybe we didn't do that when they were young. There's right Maybe we here. didn't do that.
3: Well, I also think that the people that we're talking about have a harder time learning the skills. The kids that we're talking about are the kids that have a more difficult time with those skills.
1: agreed. So, Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. You because you say,
3: oh, as a parent, I didn't teach my kid those skills. But I'll tell you, you have two two kids. One of the kids got the right. skills, the other <clears throat> one didn't.
1: It's right. And that I tried. Has other issues. Right. And I try. I tried. Yes. I personally tried. Yeah. And and maybe it was easier for me to implement like the craft skills and stuff because I knew uh, like I had a bit of self-confidence in myself that. No, I tried. I did. I did what I could. I did the best that I could. Um, but I also, you know, I hear from other family members that will say things like, well, I got divorced and I, you know, I, and so there's this deep guilt that maybe they're right. Maybe the, uh, they are the way they are because of, of me. Right. And um, helping that feel like that's what you're talking about, too. Right. You're talking about where's it coming from inside of you and, and recognizing. Right. Right, recognizing that piece of it.
3: But I also think we need to know we're not that powerful, okay? Yeah, right. One of the things I say all the time is, if you're somebody who's a loved one, there's this ridiculous concept that we're superheroes. That we could swoop in and help this person, no matter how horrible their situation is, or how bad they're doing, or whatever, and that we can make their lives better and help them. And and it's the same situation that if some if you're dealing with a child that has mental health issues or dysregulation issues or you know whatever issues cause dis ease, and I mean it, not disease, but lack of ease. Okay, where they're having a hard time regulating themselves, Um, that then what happens is that we we expect as parents, okay, we're going to be so all knowing, all loving, all tool based, all teaching, so that we can help this person become the best person that they could possibly be, and we make this story up that there's no other factors in their life, you know, including themselves. that that will get them to the place. And I feel like that is the pressure we put ourselves under.
1: So I'd like to I'd, this, I think, should be another conversation on another podcast, because I'd like to challenge you a little bit on that, because um, because I don't think that I believed that about myself. And I think there is some strong, powerful things that were um, that were driving my behavior that had nothing to do with, I knew I couldn't save him. I knew I couldn't, but yet I still continued with particular behaviors. And I think that that's, it was, I was in a position where in that moment, I couldn't, I couldn't, I knew it was, I knew something might be the right thing to do, right. To, to pull away or to back away. But yet I could not. And so there was something else driving inside of me. And I knew I'll be honest with you, Kayla. I remember being in the hospital with him when he, um, when he had his first overdose. And I remember them saying the word heroin. And I remember thinking, oh, oh man, boy, am I totally, um, useless or not and i don't mean that um i guess it's more powerless i'm out right? of my league <laughs> i'm out of my league right and i know i am this is this is a big deal and i and i think that um i think that even with other illnesses family members respond the same way that um a lot of family members respond to substance use uh um I just think about, like, I've watched families that have a a child with um, cancer, uh, you know, a brain tumor or cancer, and running around doing things like changing their diet drastically, right? And trying so hard to change the outcome, to change the illness. It must be something I ate when I was pregnant. It must be right in trying very hard to control, um, or having this idea that they might be, if I do this, or if we do this, I might heal this person.
3: But we're saying the exact same thing
1: right okay which is
3: this is not about reality this is a mythology that we're talking about right this is this is this the fantasy world this is not oh yes i'm gonna come in and change this this is like I have to change this. Right. So, something has to happen. There's gotta be one magic answer and I have to find it. That's why like when we run our groups, we if you want the biggest experts in the world about what to do with your loved one is using, come to our groups. They know about all the treatment programs. They've been on every site imaginable. They've read every book. They're trying everything but what happens is there's this factor the x factor we'll call it which is the other person <laughs> okay right. and right. that's that's the factor it's like we right. can do all of these things but then there's this other factor which we have absolutely no control no over.
1: nothing right right and that's right. the
3: issue and so so go back to the conversation of what are the tools to use number 1 is i am powerless that you start the every conversation when you when somebody's coming at you it's like I like to think I'm not that powerful that I've done this to you. That's one thought. It's like, I, you know, if I was that powerful to hurt you that badly, then I would be powerful enough to help you and magically make this better. But I'm not that powerful. So it's a message that you have to give yourself is I wish I was that powerful. Number one. Number two is that we uh, hopefully some of you have listened to the reflective mirroring piece so that you mirror what the other person is saying, but you cannot do it unless you back yourself up and just are hearing words without feeling like there's an assault rifle being shot at you. Okay. Because your job and I talk about a plexiglass wall, cause I'm an imago therapist. And that's one of the things that we talk about, which is when somebody is sending anger your way, you put up a, a clear wall in front of you so that you could hear them, but you're not being pierced. Okay, because if you're being pierced, you lose your power. If you're being pierced, you're not effective. If you're being pierced, then you're crumbling on the inside. I also have the two words that I really love, which is curiosity and fascination, which is I'm so interested in what this person is saying, because that's my head and not my heart. My head can listen to you. My heart will be broken if I take it in. Okay, so my head's going in and I'm like, wow, that's interesting that you think that, and I'm not saying that. I'm just thinking, wow, that's an interesting interpretation of what happened, and you and and at the same time, you're also knowing that this person has their own story that created this particular interpretation of what happened, and that's interesting to me. It's like I and also I'm also going to listen to some of it and think, oh, that's interesting that they think that based on what I've done. And it's an interesting interpretation. And then I also want to look at, okay, so what can I do right now that I could change this dynamic? You know, and and again, back to what Dominique said, there are times when it gets so heated and the mirroring's not working, then the most important thing is to extricate yourself. Whatever charming, lovely way, I want to hear you, but I can't right now. And then Mm -hmm. you leave the room, you leave the phone call, you do whatever, and you get away and let the person cool
1: off. So yeah, that's, that is a lot of what, uh, a lot of what we talk about getting off the phone. And, and actually I, I I just want to make two, two quick points. Um, We do talk about getting off the phone and I often will tell families to have some kind of a plan for getting off the phone, right? If you have a loved one that does that, that turns the conversation around and starts to blame you, have a plan ready. How are you going to get off the phone? Oh shoot, someone's at the door right now. Let me, I'm gonna have to call you back. We can carry this conversation on later, but I've gotta, you know, I've gotta go. What whatever it is. Oh gosh, I've got to go to the bathroom, right? Whatever it is um to get yourself out of there. I will tell you one thing that I do find. Um actually, I don't say I'm powerless. I say I am empowered. I say I am empowered because I have some skills. I have some, um, I can make some good, healthy boundaries right now and I can affect um, uh, some kind of a change that's going to, that's going to one protect myself, right. That I'm going to protect myself from the guilt and the anxiety, or maybe I may still experience it, but I need to get out of this conversation so that right now I can sit and deal with that. I can, I can kind of calm myself down and deal with that and protect myself but also at the same time, I'm empowered with enough skill to know that I'm going to let my loved one go and soothe themselves. That I am actually empowering my loved one. I am empowering them to start, and I oftentimes will. Um, we talk about ending the conversation with with things like, uh, um, "Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll um, you'll figure out a solution," or "I'm sure that you'll you'll get there," right? just all, all sorts of little things where I'm putting it back to you. No, I'm giving this back to you because this is for you to solve. Right. And I totally believe you can do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. we Even, even if you don't, right. Even if you don't believe it in the moment saying, I think you can do it.
3: Well, the other thing is, if you say, I'm sure you'll figure it out, that's always an accurate, accurate, accurate statement. It's just a question of how they what they figure out. Right. They will figure it out. And right. the other thing that we talk about all the time, and I am absolutely convinced about this is if somebody texts you or calls you with the crisis, my high recommendation is not to respond. You know, and I, I give the example of for years, I, I people would call me when, as a therapist and say, I am I feel like I want to kill myself. And at some point I was like, I can't do this. So I told people, listen, if you want to kill yourself, don't call me Um, because I'm not emergency services. I might not pick up at the right, you know, when you need me, I don't want you to have to wait. And there's actually a crisis hotline that you could call and that's their job. And I feel like as loved ones, you have to get, you have to quit your job as the crisis hotline. Right. Um because because if you could just change that role alone, right. then it changes everything. Cause like, oh yeah, well that I just don't answer the phone or right. if somebody's in crisis. just say you have to go.
1: Right. Agreed. Agreed. We it, it's it's really strange. We just had a um we just had a training. And in the training, we were talking about this. We did reflective listening back and forth, back and forth. And it was a phone call, a supposed phone call between a daughter and mom. And she was pressuring mom to give her money. And um, uh, and I and it was one of those things where you had to give you had to give money like right now or, you know, the pharmacy was going to close or something like that. Right. And um, I was the mom on as the example and in the end of the conversation um she, oh and they were trying to pressure me pressure me to well no the pharmacy closes it's 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 um it's 550 and the pharmacy closes at six and I go, oh shoot, shoot you know what I forgot I have a handyman coming over right now he's at my door I'm gonna have to call you back and I like and it was like click and everybody was like oh they were like, wow <laughs> and then they they asked me they said, Now, what about, like you said, you'd call them back. And I said, yeah, I didn't tell them what time I was going to call them back. I could call them back in three days. Right. And then we had this big conversation about, um, giving them a heads up and saying, Hey, you know what, um, I am busy between I'm at work between these hours. So I won't be answering my phone just to let you know. So if you have something you need, you better make sure that you call me ahead of time or whatever. Or I'm just not going to be answering the phone at that time. I but can't. just
3: know if somebody calls you at 10 of six in their emergency because the exactly place calling at six. It's like, excuse me, if right. this is such a big deal for you, why didn't you go at four? Call me earlier. Right. Yeah. So it's like, again. Don't just, your choices affect your life. And I right. feel like that's the biggest message we could give people is based right on what you choose. That's what's going to happen. You know, if you have a something that's going on and you give me a couple of days to think about it, we'll see what I do. Well, maybe, maybe not. Probably right. not. Right. But, <laughs> but, but at least I have time to think about it. But if don't bring, bring your last minute thing into mind, that's your crisis. Right. And so you give people the dignity of their choices too, which is right. you chose
1: that. Right. And, and they, they asked in this training, they were like, well, what if you said you'd call them back? And you know, when would you call them back? And, 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 and I said, well, I don't know. I probably one, I probably wouldn't call back. I would probably text in anticipation that the callback isn't going to be very nice. And so if I call, if I text and say, Hey, did you figure it out or you know or or something else um uh at least i have the shield of a text and can end the conversation right if that makes sense but you know what? This was this was another great conversation um, between the three of us, and I cannot wait until next week when we uh come up with another topic to discuss. So thank you, Kayla. Thank you send so much. Cards and
3: letters in. What do you want us yeah. to talk about?
2: That's right. Questions.
1: Yeah. Ask us questions. And thank you, Dominique. And
2: I'll see you. Yep. You can send your questions and through the ask your question on the blog on the discussion blog and 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 we'd love to do that. We read it and we'll put it on the
0: podcast side of things. Yep. Yep. Bye Bye, ladies. (laughs) Have a good week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Michael Mauboussin for the original music composition.